Do you ever ignore something and hope it will go away? Like the dishes are piled high in the sink after supper. And you think, well, maybe my husband, maybe my wife will rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher. I'll just ignore them for now. Or maybe you think they'll just magically disappear. Or perhaps a miracle will occur and one of your kids will actually rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher. But 9 o'clock at night comes and they're still piled high. Ignoring them didn't help. You get out of bed in the morning, you notice that the bottom of your heel hurts a little bit. But you think, yeah, it'll get better. But day after day as you get out of bed, it hurts even more. Until about six months later, it hurts so much that you say, i got to go to the doctor and get this checked out. And you find out, ignoring it didn't help, you had plantar fasciitis. Your kid wants a new iPad for Christmas. And so they persistently ask you, and you don't really want them to have the new iPad. Do you think what they have is good? So you think, I'll just ignore them. They even are so persistent that you start pretending you're on your phone texting when they approach you because you don't want to deal with it. But their persistence outweighs your ability to ignore it, and you finally have to deal with it. You know, I even do that with my feelings, especially the negative ones. I just sometimes ignore them and hope they'll go away. I learned that doesn't happen. They always surface in one way or another. You know, we can do the same thing with the Christmas story. Ah, the angels singing, the stars in the sky, um, the wonder of God becoming a man, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, that baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. We like that, but... Actually, there are parts of the Christmas story that, to be honest with you, are just plain disturbing. They're troublesome. And it's easy to kind of ignore them, to gloss over them. It makes sense. Why in the world, at this time of year, would you want to focus on something unpleasant? Right? Reality says that that first Christmas wasn't that easy for everybody. And sometimes that's true for our Christmases as well, even though we wish they were different. You know, Christmas dinner comes and Aunt Matilda and Uncle Ted come over. And the entire dinner, Aunt Matilda dominates the conversation and talks about her arthritis and how she can't sleep because Uncle Ted snores so much. And then after dinner, Uncle Ted, as usual, brings up politics and talks about how much better things were when he was a boy. Hey, guess what? With COVID this year, maybe Aunt Matilda and Uncle Ted won't be there. See, there are some upsides. But but seriously, you know, maybe you have some medical issue that's just hanging over you like a dark cloud this Christmas. Maybe the feelings of loneliness intensify. Perhaps someone you love dearly isn't going to be there this Christmas. So I want to look at one of the more troubling parts of the Christmas story. Now, you may be thinking, oh boy, just what we wanted to do five days before Christmas. Well, hang on. I promise it won't be a Debbie Downer. And in fact, there's great hope. There's great comfort. There's great promise in what we're going to focus on this morning. Because even though there were a lot of struggles that first Christmas, the fact that God became one of us, that God was with us, 
gave them that hope and that comfort. You know, that's actually the gospel message. And by gospel, we just literally that word gospel just means good news. We're talking about the good news that Jesus came into our world and died for us. And the gospel message does the same thing. It gives us so much hope and comfort, even though we have struggles in life. In fact, not only during the good times, but especially during the difficult times when those valleys come. And there is so much significance in the name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us or God is with us. And 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a prophet named Isaiah who said that when the Messiah Jesus was going to be born, they were going to name him Emmanuel. And that means God with us. You know, we enjoy God on the mountaintops. We looked at that last week. We experience Him in the wilderness. But we get to know God in the valleys, especially in the valleys. So let's look at part of the Christmas story. This is Matthew chapter 2, and I'll begin reading it in verse 16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Wow. There are no words. I mean, this is not part of the Christmas story that you pull the kids together on Christmas Eve, you sit around the story and say, hey kids, let me read you something, right? But understand this. It's in the difficult times that our strength is really, uh, where our faith is really strengthened. It's in the challenging times that we really get to know God. And so, I want to show you the significance of what we just read. Because I don't know if you've ever connected all the biblical dots if you've read through this part of the Bible. Because it takes us to the Old Testament. And it takes us to a book called Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It takes us to a book called Psalm in the Old Testament. Let me go back and read for you Matthew 2.18 again. And it says, A cry was heard in Ramah. Ramah was just a few miles, maybe five miles or so from Bethlehem. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Now when we see the word Rachel here, that simply refers to the people of Israel. It's just a reference to those people. And actually, this quote takes us back to the book of Jeremiah. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah was a prophet. And in Jeremiah 31.15, he said that this was going to happen. There was going to come a time where there would be great weeping and mourning near Bethlehem in Ramah. And you see the word weeping. You know, that actually takes us to the book of Psalms. The, the word, the Hebrew word for weeping is the word baka. And there was a valley 
in that part of the world near Jerusalem called the Valley of Baca. In other words, the Valley of Weeping. And it's referred to in the book of Psalms. And interestingly, that Psalm, it's Psalm 84, starts out talking about joy. It ends talking about joy. But right in the middle, it talks about the Valley of Weeping. Let's look at it. Here's how it starts. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. Now, that's a pretty upbeat way to start a psalm, isn't it? I mean, it's talking about joy. And if you go to church very often, you may be familiar that we sing some songs that are based on these verses in this in this psalm. But interestingly enough, right after this, the writer of the psalm shifts and begins to write about the about difficulties in life. That's the valley of Baca. I'll start reading in verse 5. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who has set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Verse 5 talks about a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, This is very common for the people of Israel. It was just part of their culture. They went to Jerusalem three times a year, in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall. And while they were there, they offered sacrifices and they worshipped God. And these periods of time where they go to Jerusalem became holidays. Think about it. The word holiday is just the word holy day combined, isn't it? And many of our holidays originated with religious observances. And that's what happened for them too. We plan our schedules around holidays, don't we? Thanksgiving, Christmas, July 4th. So envision a Jewish family leaving home and they're headed to Jerusalem for the holiday. They're filled with joy. They're feeling festive. No different than Kids are excited about, you know, going to grandma's house for Christmas. Well, maybe except during a pandemic. Now, it's easy to believe that God is with you when you are on the mountaintops, right? Whenever you get really good news. You know, maybe the baby sleeps through the night for the first time. You know, thank you, God. I've been praying every night at the 2 a.m. feeding that this would finally happen. The baby slept through the night. Or it's easy to believe in God when you wait too long to order your wife's gift, yet they still ship it and you get it to your house on Christmas Eve, you know, you're thinking, God is so good. But sometimes it's difficult to sense God's presence in the valley when things aren't going so well, when you get bad news, when you're hurting, when you're feeling lonely, worried, afraid, battling depression. Sometimes much much of your life is going really well, but there's one area that's weighing you down. And it frustrates you because you wish that just one thing would go away. You know, maybe it's like that for you this Christmas. If it wasn't for my job, if it wasn't for him, 
If it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for my help, then this holiday would be so much better. So where is God in the valleys? How do I sense His presence when life is tough? That's what Psalm 84 is telling us because the writer of this psalm talks about the joy he has in his relationship with God while he is going through the valley. In verse 5, he talks about joy whose strength is in the Lord. And, And here's his point. He's saying that joy comes from my relationship with God, not from my circumstances. Knowing this, learning this principle is a game changer. Your strength comes from the Lord. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then when you're going through tough times, you often have no healthy place to turn. You just have to accept that things aren't going well and figure out how to cope. That's all you have. But if you're a follower of Jesus... You have a relationship with Him, so your strength can come from Him. Let me give you an example. Hopefully this will help you understand. I like to go to the gym and work out, and that includes lifting some weights. And suppose you're trying to push yourself beyond what you've been able to do in the past. Add some weight so you can strengthen your muscles. And suppose I'm going to be doing a bench press, which just means you lie down on a bench and... You take the weights with a bar and you push them overhead. So something like this, where you lay down and you push that bar up. Now, if you're trying to gain strength, you're going to add weight. So suppose you have 150 pounds on total on the bar. And say you can do 10 reps. You can push it up over your head and lock your arms 10 times. Well, suppose you want to be able to push yourself a little harder or gain some extra strength with your muscles, what you might do is you might add a few pounds, say 10 pounds to that. Uh, so perhaps you then, uh, you know, put five on each side. And the whole idea is to move to a point of muscle fatigue, which just means you get to a point where your muscles don't work anymore. You push it as far as you can, and they won't let you push it any farther. And that helps you build strength. So you try that, and suppose you add some 10 pounds or so and you start pushing it, but you get to rep 8 and you're struggling. You get to rep 9 and you're not sure you're going to be able to push it over your head. What do you do then? Because if you can't push it over your head and it collapses on your chest, you're going to be hurting, aren't you? You don't want to kill yourself. That's when you introduce a spotter. And a spotter is a person who stands over you while you're lifting the weights and maybe just keeps his or her hand underneath the bar. So if you get to that ninth rep and you're afraid you can't push it up over your head, you can say, help, and they'll just put their hand on the bar and just help push it up just a little bit so you can get that additional rep. That's what a spotter does. And, you know, a good spotter... It's cheering you on while you're trying to push that extra weight, that eighth or ninth rep over your head and you're struggling. You know, they're saying, come on, you got this. Just a little more. Keep going. This is all you. And actually, it's not all you because he or she's helping you along, but you're at the end of your strength. 
And Psalm 84 doesn't say that there is joy for those who make it on their own, for those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps, for those who are really determined. Joy is found for those whose strength is found in God. God is with you. And that's good to know, isn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, that He's there for you when you're at the end of your strength. There's joy for you, even in difficult times, because your strength is on yourself, it's in the Lord. Now, I want you to look what comes next, because this is really meaningful. This is where it gets meaningful. It talks about the valley of weeping. Let me read it again. This is verse 6. When they walk through the valley of weeping, that's that valley of Baca that we were talking about earlier, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. The valley of weeping. There it is. Weeping. It's part of the Christmas story. And you know, there was probably a valley on your way to Jerusalem called the Valley of Weeping. Why? Well, one theory is because there were weeping trees in it. You know, trees where the the branches grow down, they grow low. But there's double meaning here because when you are sad, when you're dealing with difficulties, God is with you, even in the valley, especially in the valley. Sometimes it's called the valley of tears. You know, valleys were often dangerous places, places you could become trapped by wild animals or thieves. God is with you. He is your strength. But I love the picturesque language here. It talks about refreshing springs springs and autumn rains. You plant crops in Israel in the fall. So you need autumn rains to help them grow. And when you sense the very presence of God, that God is with you, you can find strength even in the valleys. Maybe that's what you need to hear this holiday season because you're in a valley. You know, who is with you makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? I actually don't like to go to new places by myself where there's a group of people. I don't know. Maybe that's because I'm a little bit introverted. So, like, uh, a few months ago when I tried CrossFit for the first time, I didn't want to go by myself. There were going to be a group of people there. So I went with a buddy. Somehow that just helped my comfort level. It took away some of the anxiety. And you can have peace with God or peace from God, even joy in the valley because God's with you. You may currently be in a valley, but your mind can be set on the Lord. Your heart may be racing right now, but your thoughts are fixed on God. Your soul may be aching, but you're focused on Jesus. Your emotions may be all out of whack, but your mind is fixed on the Lord. God doesn't promise to remove us from our circumstances. We still have to walk through the valleys, but He unequivocally promises to be there with us. Emmanuel, God is in the middle of your weakness 
God is in the middle of your darkness. God is in the middle of your pain. God is in the middle of your anxiety. Emmanuel. You see, there's beauty in the valleys. We enjoy God on the mountaintops. We experience Him in the wilderness, but we really get to know Him in the valleys. We learn that He is there, that He cares, that He's good, and that He can even bring joy and peace. Emmanuel. There's so much richness in that name. If you need to know that God is with you this holiday season, I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. I'm going to ask you to pray one simple prayer. Pray this. God, I need you. Please show up in my valley. That's it. God, I need you. Please show up in my valley. God's amazing promise to you is if you do this, it's in Hebrews 13.5. He says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I'd like to close in prayer. God, how I thank you for just this incredible truth that you're with us even in the valleys, especially in the valleys. And perhaps for some of us this year, Christmas is the mountaintop. And I pray that for those who are experiencing that, that they could just experience all the joy that goes with that. But I also pray for those who are going through the valleys, that they would understand that they can have joy, not because of what's happening around them, but because we have you and because of our relationship with you. God, thank you for giving us that hope, that comfort, that promise. Thank you for the richness of the name Emmanuel. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.